0: Often respected podcast hosts Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez Met online in 2006 And began podcasting together Shortly thereafter Discovered Star Wars Minute in 2014 And launched a movies-by-minute podcast Of their own a year later Focused on the Batch of the Future trilogy Completing it less than three years later With 340 episodes about the films themselves And five about the Universal Studios Theme Park attraction from the early 1990s Received over 100 five-star reviews On Apple Podcasts In early 2018 Completed 95 episodes Episodes of the Cornetto Minute, dedicated to the Edgar Wright-directed comedy trilogy starting with 2004's Shaun of the Dead, one minute at a time. The show is nowhere near as popular, with only four reviews on Apple Podcasts, and has been on hiatus ever since. Something Hey, Scott, how's the hiatus? Well, I haven't been on hiatus. Not exactly. That's right. You've been working on that little side project, Spider or something. Spider-Man Minute. I don't know if I'd call it a side project exactly. I would. You know, I'm surprised you didn't take a break after last season of Cornetto Minute. That's what I did. I prefer to take my breaks behind the mic. Indeed you do. And that's why it's high time such skills were put to better use on Cornetto Minute Season 2. I'm sorry? Hot fuzz. You want us to cover every minute of Hot Fuzz? Yes, lovely. Isn't there a weekly podcast we could do? Oh, no. Can I just stay on hiatus then? No. Do I have any choice in this? No. But I kind of like being on hiatus. You always said you wanted to cover Hot Fuzz one minute at a time. I don't remember telling you that. Yes, you did. You said, I'd love to cover Hot Fuzz one minute at a time someday, Zach. (sighs) Fine, but there's no way we can perpetuate the amount of carnage and mayhem in every minute of Hot Fuzz and not incur a considerable amount of podcasting. 115 daily episodes, not a problem. The Cornetto Minute returns to investigate the gunfights, car chases, and proper action of Sanford's finest one minute at a time. It's about to go off with Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz this November at DuelingGenre.com for the greater good. For the greater good.
1: And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. This week we're discussing characters from the fan fiction story A Very Scary Thought by Jim Bader. And joining the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. You're always here, but this episode you're going to be more here than usual. Yes. <laughs> Um, A Very Scary Thought is a piece of fanfiction written by Jim Bader, and it was inspired by the manga series called Ranma One Half by Rumiko Takahashi, and this topic was requested by Patron Charles. So thank you, Patron Charles, for supporting the show and for suggesting that we cover this. Uh, Andrew, were you familiar with either the manga series Ranma One Half or uh,
2: Jim Bader as a fanfiction writer at all before we kind of delved into this? So I have never before actually dipped a toe into fan fiction. I I don't think I've read any of it except what my own brain has generated. <laughs> um, because I feel like that's something that everybody kind of has in them yes. sometimes. You, you know, when you care about characters and stories, you're going to have times when you, you spontaneously generate some thoughts about how something should go or um or things like that. I mean, We've all done some shipping. I think that's in the territory of fan fiction. Where you just think um, two characters should be getting into a relationship? Yeah. It's like, oh, I think they fit. You know? Um, but I'd, I'd never read any online. So this was my first experience with fan fiction. And therefore, my, my first experience with, um, with Shadow Mane. I, I'm i sorry. I forgot his his actual name. And I went with his, his fan fiction name.
1: Yes, his actual um, name was Jim Bader, but he all his fan fiction work was signed by Shadowbane, I believe.
0: Right,
2: um, and <laughs> as for Ranma, I had seen it um, on shelves or in selections of anime on on like Hulu and stuff like that, but that was kind of the extent of it. It uh, was not something that I had ever engaged with or really knew anything about.
1: Yeah, um, my only familiarity is uh from the fan fiction episodes. So every once in a while, we do a, a special episode on a type of storytelling. So we recently did one on animation, uh, and, and we did one on fan fiction uh, based on, um, uh, listener requests. I think it was it was actually uh, patron Charles was, was trying to get us to do this one, but the site that was hosting it was shut down, and so we just kind of had an open ended discussion about fan fiction. But we're circling back to covering uh, this piece of Jim Bader. Uh, fan fiction. And so I'd done a little bit of research and come across Jim Bader's name as one of the big names of fan fiction. Um, However, I think fan fiction has exploded with the internet um, to uh, a a much higher mass production of fan fiction for so many more uh, fandoms than when uh, he was most active and and was one of the biggest voices in fan fiction. I think it just seems like one, the internet has um, really housed fan fiction in a way that no other medium Really successfully managed to do previously, mm-hmm. and, and kind of incubated uh, that that genre of writing. Like you, I had never actually read any fan fiction. I was aware it was out there as a thing. Um, we covered the Rainbow Rowell book "Fangirl," I think was the title of the book, which, uh, in which she which was fan, about fan fiction. Yes, which was about fan fiction, and kind of uh, served as a, a primer or primer, depending on which pronunciation you prefer, <laughs> of of fan fiction culture and um, some sides of it. Um, I don't know how how accurate that was, but it felt like I was getting kind of like the peek into the world, um, having covered fangirl. And um, it's it's an interesting spot uh, uh, as far as storytelling for me. And um, it it was interesting to go and engage with this one. I need to be upfront in saying that, like I'm not the audience for Ranma one half fan fiction because I'm not familiar with Ranma one half outside of reading the Wikipedia summary in preparation for this episode. And I think the fun of a lot of fan fiction or the joy that a lot of both uh, writers and readers take is is the twists that are happening. And unless you're really familiar with the source text, you don't appreciate those twists. So I can appreciate this mm-hmm. uh, very scary thought kind of like as a short story. Um, but I don't know that I... I'm really connecting with what this is doing as an alternative version of Ranma one half.
2: Right. Cause if you don't know the original version, this is sort of your Ranma one half thing. And if you yeah, were to read of my urge, of, of yeah, this, this would, you would be looking at it. as like, Oh, this is what's different from the thing I did read. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, just hearing you talk about it a little bit, I think I need to make an amendment to my statement about having read fan fiction because, and I think you'll understand what I'm, what I'm talking about as I describe it. I've been on Facebook and I've seen copy and pasted Reddit feeds or Tumblr posts or things like that. um, Or, or Twitter feeds where people have taken screenshots of somebody pitching the snapshots of some fan fiction for like Harry Potter. That seems like the one I'm most likely Um, to have seen where people are like, okay, but think about this. And it's, it's, you know, five or six or seven paragraphs, um, or shorter. Sometimes it's really brief, Mm
1: -hmm. but
2: it's, it's a really bite-sized fan fiction that people have written for things like, um, what if Dudley had a daughter who was a witch and he had to reconnect with Harry. And so somebody, you know, lays that out for seven paragraphs or something. Or a recent one I
1: saw was, Um, what if uh, like Arthur Weasley, uh, as a grandparent to, um, like Ron and, you know, Ron's kid, Ron and Hermione's kids that, and it said, um, because Hogwarts doesn't start at age 11, Hermione insisted that her kids go to a muggle elementary school and they had to do science fair projects and Arthur Weasley came and he was just so fascinated with all the kids science fair projects um, and, and he became mm-hmm. a favorite of this elementary school because he, he asked such like earnest and inquisitive questions of children about their science fair projects and I'm like oh that's just a charming you know what if future yeah. version of Arthur Weasley and it was exactly what you're saying it was someone had screenshotted I think it was a Reddit feed of like a three paragraph pitch of this version of Arthur Weasley's future life and uh, yeah I guess that would fall under the rubric or, or, or the genre of fan fiction. Um, it wasn't like yeah, a it's just out short story. It was just like more like a fan fiction pitch rather than you know the the kind of full fan fiction that Jim Bader was writing a Shadowman.
2: Mm-hmm. But that seems to like even if there's people who don't think they are writing fan fiction in the same way that that Jim Bader is or the fan fiction websites. I think we read this one on fanfiction.net. Um, there's people who are generating this exact same type of content in different forms on Instagram or, or Tumblr or Reddit or or wherever, right? This is permeating into a point where people are doing it without even realizing it, I would say. And and now that I think about it, I was consuming it without even realizing it. And so yeah. it's interesting how, how naturally that must come to all of us for it to be able to happen without anyone realizing that they're writing it or reading it as fan fiction. And so there's like this concept of fan fiction people are like well i i don't really know anything about that it's like actually i've read probably a hundred different things <laughs> you know just randomly
1: or or whenever people are like oh, i wish this had happened in the movie like they're kind of brainstorming the start of a fan fiction it's not the fully fleshed out mm-hmm. like the short story version like i said but but you are heading in that direction with that and i think there's kind of a stigma that gets associated with fan fiction with with the way people express a lot of their fandoms there are uh, like subgroups that really become engaged in versions of it, be it like cosplaying or LARPing or writing fan fiction that um, larger, more mainstream members of that fandom kind of look down on. And I always want to push back against any of that, like negativity. Like you do your fandom in whatever way g- gives you joy and that's fine. <laughs> um, and, and there's probably yeah. merit to it that I'm not appreciating because I'm not engaging with it in the same way you are. And that's fine. That You know, I, that I'm choosing to engage in my fandom in, in a different way. And so whenever I I feel like there's kind of a, a derision towards people who write and or consume fan fiction. I I immediately want to push back and say, you know what? Enjoy your entertainment however you want and be a creator. However is, is giving you a creative outlet. That's fine.
2: Yeah. Some people podcast about the things they enjoy. Some people write stories in universe or alternate universe. And, um, I, I don't know if this is like a discussion we need to have, but it's interesting. So the one we're talking about is like an alternate reality um, kind of take on some stuff. Um, at least that's how we understand it. Not having actually read the core text of Ronma 1. Half. The
1: opening of it feels um, a lot like a Watcher introducing a What If comic book in Marvel Comics where uh, – yeah there's these two characters that say, well, let's look at this version of the Ranma reality. Like we're looking at an alternate plane of existence where we've tweaked some things and a different, th- there's the same inciting incident, it seems, but now a different set of events are going to come out because because the inciting incident happened to some different characters from what I could gather, looking at the Ranma one half uh, Wikipedia summary and what happens in this story, which is exactly what like Marvel's mm-hmm. what if comics would do, the watcher would say, well, well, what if this other character got bitten by the radioactive spider, or this other character had become Captain America, and now let's watch this play out for this single issue? Uh, and, and so it, mm-hmm. it feels like, and, and I didn't go read a whole lot of Jim Bader's, I, I didn't read any of Jim Bader's other <laughs> stuff, but it feels like this may be his hook into telling a lot of Ron one half fan fictions that um, the, these, these characters who are looking in on it are actually his core characters that are maybe we see at, at the beginning and close of his short stories, but then, uh, he's, he's playing with the world that was built in the manga series, uh, in, in the actual bulk of the story.
2: Yeah. And so that's definitely a particular style of, um, of doing, you know, fan fiction or, or adapted storytelling or, or however you want to, you know, view it. And then there's also ones where it's, continuation notes like the like the harry potter stuff that you mentioned or that i mentioned yeah um, and then there's the it's uh, like the story ended but like i want to throw in some stuff down the road and it's still kind of a what if but it's a what if 20 years later or this is what i picture 20 years later right and so it's it, it's interesting to see like those seem like two really distinctive types of fan fiction yeah, and, and
1: then I think we're all somewhat aware of the other version of, you know, the, the romantic pairings, uh, however explicit the fanfiction writers <laughs> decide to become, of characters who aren't actually connected in the core stories, where they start to say, what if this character was romantically interested in that character? Uh, you know, so so that's <laughs> another, uh, you know, version of fanfiction that, that, that's out there. Just in looking around, I saw that um, Shadow Main's Ranma one-half fan fictions were often grouped under the title Alter Destinies. But in looking up Alter Destinies in, in fan fiction, it turns out that is a popular name for, uh, <laughs> for fan fictions. About. So is that like a category marker? I, I'm wondering, and I, I tried to find this in Googling, and there's just, I, I could not nail it down um, before recording tonight. But I'm wondering if Shadow Mane started that term for doing this kind of alternate history version of of the established things and other fan fiction writers have picked that up for this genre that you're talking about. Um, because mm-hmm. I mostly saw it associated with his name, with Jim Bader or Shadow Mane, and with Rama one half uh, that, you know, that is a, a known fan fiction. It seemed, you know, that his Altered Destiny's uh, story set in the Rama one half universe. But I, I also saw like Altered Destiny's Harry Potter, Altered destinies Star Trek, Altered destinies Star Wars. Like, so maybe it, it, it became point. a shorthand for, this alternate reality kind of take. And that is just somewhat just supposition on my part from what I saw as I was looking into fan fiction. That is not something I was able to, to, to confirm, but if so, like good job by Jim Bader in establishing, uh, you know, a, a little bit of jargon for fan fiction, <laughs> potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit of trivia because uh, I did look up some stuff so Ranma 1 Half as we said is the core manga that Jim Bader is now going to tell new versions of and it was by Rumiko Takahashi and it tells the story of a teenage boy who uh, he and his his martial arts master get cursed uh, they fall into these magical springs and the curse is that whatever last died in those springs whoever falls into them turns into that thing uh, when they are uh, encounter cold water. And then warm water turns them back into their natural state. And uh, in, in the case of Ranma one half. Uh, Ranma is a boy who falls into a spring that a girl died in. So he turns into a, a teenage girl. Whenever he's hit with cold water. And then back into... Uh, his natural boy state uh, when he's hit with hot water and his master fell into a spring that a giant panda
2: had fallen into, it seems.
1: So whenever his master gets uh, hit with cold water, he turns into a giant panda and then it takes warm water to turn him back. And this seems to have been a very popular manga series. It ran from 1987 to 1996 and it was adapted into... Two different anime series, twelve director uh, direct-to-video animated films, uh, three uh, animated films that were released in theaters, and one live-action television special. Which I'm not familiar with how all manga gets adopted. I know there is a, so much manga that's produced, but also so much anime that gets produced. But that seems like a lot of interest in this series to have so much, so many adaptations. I,
2: I don't know, Joseph. I don't know <laughs> that just that much really say- is. A lot. Um, I mean, so we've we've talked about One Piece before. That's one that you're familiar with at this point. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, uh-huh. So starting as, that, that one as
2: the manga, right? Yes. Um, and and very often they do. Um, and that one at this point um, has many many volumes. I mean, we read like the third volume in the story. There's ninety some odd. I think right now translated into English. And how long has One Piece been running um, volumes? for? I'm going to say in the neighborhood of 20 years. I can't, yeah, okay. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'd put it in that territory. It might be longer. Um, and the anime series is, I think into 900 episodes. That is so many episodes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. I think I knew that from when we like, did that
2: episode, but still it's shocking to hear that. <laughs> Well and it's it's always increasing, right? They're releasing yeah. new episode pretty much every week. Um I think they have 12 films. Okay. Um that have been adapted. Um, well, there's got
1: to be manga that get no adaptations. So, you know, manga that go out and into Japan's uh cultural, you know, yeah. release uh, and nothing happens. So this one at least did generate uh, you know, interest in multiple different uh adaptations.
2: Yes. And so it was, it was, you know, recognized enough and cherished enough that, that they did do multiple things. So that's not um, a bad thing, but I don't know, like, I'd say that's, that's a strong performance. I don't know if it's a top tier performance. No, that makes sense what you're saying. Um, So
1: maybe, maybe like a second tier. Yeah, okay. Uh, Ramama uh, uh, One Half, as I said, was created by Rumiko Takahashi, and she had previously created manga that had female leads, and she said one reason that she did this twist where her main character is a boy who transforms into a girl is because she was nervous about writing a male protagonist, so she decided to make her protagonist a female half the time. (laughs) Which it's like, every once in a while, I'll take a break. Yeah, it's a creative solution to that that concern. Like, as a creator, what can I do to, like, mitigate my own fear in telling the story? Oh, I found a way
2: to, to do yeah. that. Which sounds um, kind of brilliant, actually.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I, like, it feels, I, I think just hearing that description can feel, like, very transgressive. Like, what are they going to do? From what I read, it, it said it was mostly done for comical tones and, like, the idea of gender switching for comedy, that shakespeare did it bugs bunny did it all the time like that is not nearly as transgressive as um what some manga series do (laughs) with (laughs) with characters and gender um
2: so uh it it seems like this series um, is pretty lighthearted and and comedic mm -hmm. they're not going to dig into any anything super intense
1: uh Jim Bader uh, as we've said was a fan fiction writer who was prolific and he had many fans he wrote under the pen name Shadowmane and in looking up stuff about him I found uh, definitive references to his having passed away and efforts by his fans to ensure that his work was preserved online uh that that after his passing and I don't I couldn't find exactly when that had happened his fans uh, wanted to make sure that his particular fan fiction writings didn't get lost into the ether of the internet and so there's been efforts made to to collect and preserve them on uh, specific sites. And like I said, his Ranma One Half series, it seems like that's a full series of fan fiction that he wrote. Those are collectively known on, under the title Alter Destiny's Ranma One Half.
2: You know, Joseph, sometimes you've, in the past, you've talked about with um, like detective shows where they have episodes where you dig into one of those subcultures and you learn all this great detail about how the subculture functions things like that. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about fan fiction and like the collective fans who are working to preserve his work online, it feels like that That there's a a subculture. Yeah. We're getting a glimpse into this actually, you know, fairly organized and well-defined subculture that has motives and missions and, and all these things where it's like, I, I mean, somehow in my life, this doesn't cross my path ever at all. And then I get a little glimpse of it and it's like, there's a whole world right here. Oh, absolutely.
1: I had the exact same feeling. So like your, your classic episode of something like Bones or a CSI or uh castle, you know, the, you got your mystery of the week where it's like, okay, we're going to go find out about skateboarding subculture. Uh, or we're going to go find out about, uh, you know, high-end white collar, uh, you know uh, – conspiracy subculture (laughs) you know whatever Mm -hmm. yeah we're just or or it's motorcycles or it's paragliding yeah uh or or you know there's always one comic book convention episode set in in these we're like we're just gonna go look there Mm -hmm. and i'm surprised we haven't seen or at least uh, maybe it's out there but i have not seen the let's go look at the fan fiction uh you know subculture Mm -hmm. uh but that like you said there is uh earnest members who are heavily engaged in it and Um, A lot of societies can pass by without even being aware of its existence, but there is like this existing hierarchy and, and norms and jargon that exist within the subculture. And um, like you and I just haven't engaged with enough to really be familiar with those things.
2: Yeah. And, but like seeing it and, and hearing like they wanted to organize to make sure that his work was preserved and things like that. I'm like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad I am aware of it now, Mm -hmm. even if I, don't end up engaging with it fully. Yeah, like his work meant enough to his
1: fans that even though this wasn't like a for profit thing where you could go buy copies of this, or that he had an agent who was ensuring that, you know, that this got in front of as many eyes as people, like he generated content that connected with enough people that with his passing, they wanted to uh, preserve his work. And, and I think that's, that says something that's significant. Yeah, that, and like it's admirable. Mm hmm. Alright, well before we move on to discussing this particular story, uh, we want to thank you, listeners, for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. All patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So here is uh the ranma one half uh fan fiction story that was titled a very scary thought um the story opens with derek and serena who are watching a new reality unfold before them they're in some sort of observational space where they not only observe alternate stories but they also seem capable of nudging events or tweaking things to see like kind of the butterfly effect well like what if this is different what new developments come uh the action cuts to what we can assume is the their observed plane of existence where a young boy is being followed by a giant panda that is trying to dissuade him from walking a certain path when the panda blocks his way they have a martial arts fight And the boy tells the panda he's going home and the panda cannot stop him we cut to a man named tendo son who has received a postcard from his daughter nabiki revealing that she's coming home after being away for 10 years he tells a woman named nadoka how excited he is to have his family back together Now we got to a workout space, a dojo where two children are, are, uh, exercising a girl named Akane. and I may be mispronouncing these. I, I, I
2: don't know. (laughs) That's (laughs) how I would, that's how I would read it. I think generally when you have translated, um, you know, manga type stuff, you should pronounce every letter. Okay. So a girl named Akane is hitting the punching bag, and which is held by a boy named
1: Ranma. Akane is angry and wants Ranma to fight her, but Ranma refuses to fight girls. Nidoka calls them in to go uh, have a meeting to speak about family matters. Just then, a boy followed by a giant panda shows up on the porch. The boy says he knows he may not look like it, but he is Nabiki, the daughter who was expected to return home. Uh, Tendo Son hugs the boy, calling him his daughter, and then gets concerned about the giant panda that he sees over. <laughs> over his shoulder. And Nabiki says the panda is really Uncle Saotome. The panda is wearing a backpack and it twists around and pulls out a paper and pen and it writes down, I am Saotome Genma. And Nadoka steps forward and asks uh, that's the one from earlier. She steps forward and says is this giant panda really my husband? And the panda turns over the paper and there's <laughs> writing on it that says, long story. <laughs> this was my favorite moment. <laughs> like the panda just, just imagining a panda turning over a piece of paper and holding up long story. <sighs> Uh, The boy, (laughs) who is Nabiki, says they've been cursed, but he asks if we can get a bath before we discuss matters. And if you remember what I said at the beginning, you realize why a bath might just help explain matters entirely (laughs) um, about how uh, the curse involves water. So while the bath is being prepared, Nabiki goes to spar with Akane and Ranma. And Nabiki is Akane's sister, uh, but Akane does not believe that the boy in front of her is really Nabiki. Um, and remember she hasn't seen Nabiki in 10 years. So there's like both this passage of time and also the fact that it is a boy standing in front of her. Nabiki wins the sparring match. Then they hear a scream and they run into the kitchen where they see a man standing in a puddle of warm water. And everyone wonders where the panda has gone. And Nabiki grabs the kettle of hot water and splashes herself with it, which turns him into The girl, Nabiki. So the 10-year-older version of the girl that left to go on this um, martial arts training adventure. Nabiki explains that in her travels with her uncle, they came to some springs that were apparently cursed, and if you go into one, you will transform into whatever last died there. Nabiki went into one that had a boy drowned in it a thousand years ago, and her uncle went into one where a panda had died. Nabiki says things have been complicated ever since, but it's not all bad. If you're being chased, switching genders is a very useful way to confuse your pursuer, for example. Of course, trying to come home after being away for 10 years... And now being cursed so that you literally transform when you encounter water of different temperatures, it's going to bring its own sense of problems as well that can be explored now. The end. Yeah. I was surprised how much I enjoyed reading about the panda, <laughs> the large panda, <laughs> Like when you get to the opening, it's kind of like, what in the world is this large panda doing? And I actually I came and read this before I went and read any of the summary of Rama One Half because I just wanted to see what Jim Bader is going to bring to the table as a writer. And I knew I was not going to become well versed enough in Rama One Half to really ever be able to engage with it the way someone who had read all the original manga or had seen the adaptations were going to be able to. So I just said, let me go see what Jim Bader's short story feels like to me. Um, and I thought, yeah. he had a good competent writing style. He definitely um, presented the action in a way that I could follow. I did feel a little bit like character introductions that uh, were, were too lacking for me to understand who these characters were initially. Like it took a little while to get a grip on the characters. And I think there was like an assumed familiarity with the characters that fan fiction yeah.
2: very reasonably can have. Uh, that is part of the nature of, the say, genre of fan fiction. I was going to say that's probably because most or all of these characters are, something you'd be familiar with um from from the original text yeah so and um, so he doesn't feel up- as much need to to introduce them here and we should point out that this is a chapter in a longer story it seems like
1: Yes. And I tried to find the next chapter and I could not. <laughs> and when I, when I tried to find it, I did come across another Jim Bader, uh, short story like, uh, that, that had all these warnings at the fan top of the content. <laughs> yeah. F- uh, f- fan fiction about explicit yeah. content. I'm like, well, I don't, that doesn't feel like the next chapter of this one <laughs> I was reading. And that's yeah, not really we're not going to go that. exploring
2: too much, Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it does seem like, oh, this is episode one of, you know, this, this series. That he was doing, you know, here's an alternate take instead of Ranma um, being cursed. It's Nabiki and it's a little bit different and it's like, okay, they're coming back. And so your focus is on different characters and and things like that. So it's like, I see, you know, some of what's different, even just knowing the the cursory overview of Ranma one half. Mm -hmm. And I think also it kind of helps us take this story on its own face value, and like you said, Jim Bader is is a very competent writer. I I'd, I'd say he's good, right? He yeah, uh-huh. he writes well. You've you've got action that you're following. Um, like you said, the character introductions leave a little bit to be desired, but that's probably you know that, just the nature of fan fiction, what he's doing. Uh, yeah, that's a
1: feature fan yeah. fiction, not a flaw in this story, uh, because this story right. operating I mean, the story is to the generic. Expectations of fan fiction, and for us to just go in and read it as a short
2: story, like we're not engaging with it the way it's meant to be engaged with. Yeah, um but his, you know, his descriptions of things and and of action and of character behavior, I was like, oh, these characters have characteristics, right? I could I can read and say, Ranma is kind of this way, Akane is this way, nabiki is this way. Not everybody gets a really thorough expression of it because it's a short story or a short chapter but like you get a sense of him so I was I was thinking maybe we can go through at least and say okay what are the characteristics that we that we glean from it because I think that's a, a strong sign that this mm-hmm. is well written and well presented yeah so should we start with Nabiki yeah um, Nibiki, I don't know if I want to say arrogant but I kind of want to say arrogant
1: yeah there's um or or at least um, a little bit of uh, or at least I had the idea, like, she slash he has information that she knows other people need, but she's holding on to it, <laughs> right? Which can come off, I think, as that kind of arrogant standoffishness. Yeah. Um, and, and and so because she, like, like she knows what's going on, and, and be it because of either exhaustion or um, enjoying being in the position of informed group of, you know, member of this party. Hmm. Um. She's withholding some of the information
2: before it's filling it all out. Yeah. So there's something about the the position of power and knowledge and the withholdingness of it. It's like, okay, what's going on? Right. And it it seems not cruel, but but selfish to some degree. To say, well, we'll explain well, and it also later. Also,
1: there's the assertiveness. I, I think also wrapped up in this, in this impression that we both share is there's the assertiveness at the beginning where we see her saying, I'm going to do what I want to the panda bear that we come to find out is actually her master, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or her martial arts master uh, that, that I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to follow my will. So she's very attentive. She's like, I'm going back home. The panda bear tries to stand in the way. And there's a martial arts fight between her uh, or him at that point and And the panda bear as, nabiki is trying to carry out um you know her her plan uh that that i'm gonna get home no matter what and i can't be stopped and then we combine that assertiveness with the then um you know meeting with the family and saying there's so much information that i have that you need but let's hit pause for a little bit, which again, <laughs> that it can be very valid to say, like I'm exhausted, but it, it, in only like these two beats that we have, it feels like if she wanted to, she'd go ahead and, and tell everything no matter what. And so there seems to be kind of a, uh, particularly when she goes and spars while the bath is being prepared, like there seems to be a pleasure that she uh, takes in, in um, knowing more than her uh, yeah. her sister.
2: Yeah. There's definitely a satisfaction Um in, in that position of power. Ooh, that's a good word for it. And uh, uh, and I think any sibling has been in that. Like, oh, yeah.
1: Okay, oh, well, yeah. Like, it's a very understand. natural sibling thing. We do, <laughs> like, like the specifics of uh, cursed springs and transformations based on temperature of water they come into contact with, that we do not understand at all. But the idea of a sibling uh, holding, uh, you know, a, a position of authority in any way over another uh sibling and really kind of relishing it and reveling in it a little bit like that comes through loud and clear in the short story and that specificity that connects i think with any
2: sibling relationship yeah um i do have to say when the panda holds up the the sign that says long story really it doesn't seem that long cursed spring if that's a (laughs) thing people are familiar with and like they believe in it seems like that's okay Well, I guess that's one thing we don't
1: know. Like, is this really a known thing? The idea of curse springs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and so if it's not, it's going to take a lot of explanation to say, no, really, there's mystical stuff. Obviously, I'm here as evidence of this mystical world. So, So, like, is the mystical side of Rama one half? Is this, like, a known thing of the world? Or is this, like, on... In the original manga, on Rama's adventure, they discovered this thing that maybe there were whispers or legends about, but most people didn't really think magic was real. Uh, and so, some of that is our lack of familiarity with the story world of Rama One Half, maybe uh, coloring our perception of this this panda holding up the sign. Which, again, favorite imagery of the entire text is the panda reaching back for a backpack, pulling out a piece of paper, and jotting
2: down notes on it. That is glorious. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any other thoughts on? Nabiki's characteristics. No, I
1: I think that that largely covers what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think as we said, like this seems to be the opening version, short story of this plane of existence that Jim Bader is going to come back and revisit in future fan fiction, right? So, so this is one fan fiction that he that he wrote and put out there. Uh, and if he wants to come back and and address this again, having that character who is simultaneously like identifiable, but maybe has some traits that you you'd like to see uh, matured. Uh, that's a really good opening for a storyline, right? Like, Oh, that, that kind of uh standoffishness or, or um, gloating uh, aspect of the character. Uh, I'd like to see that, you know, change a bit that yeah. that makes sense to have your protagonist contain that kind of flaw in the opening chapter of a fan fiction.
2: Yeah, and it. I think you also get, like, a little more um, story. I think I ended up reading, so the page that um, you gave me a link to had kind of this chapter one, part one, and then a part two. And I read that part two. I don't know if you did. Um, Uh, I did as well. It got a little too tricky to try and summarize all the twists and
1: turns of, of, like, the relationships I felt.
2: Yeah. And so, um, but that's but where you get, a, you get
1: a bit more of the standoff.
2: Yeah. And you get a little more, what I was going to go into was, I think that's where you get more of some of the backstory about what Nabiki and, um, and the panda bear have been through. Like you get a little bit in this one and then you get mm-hmm. more like, yeah, we've been traveling all around and, or is that in this first section? No, I, like when
1: I gave that little summary of like uh, they they fall in the springs, that's what come that gets revealed more in the second okay, uh, you know, um, the part two.
2: So they did do you know a lot of traveling, and they've been involved in martial arts tournaments and all this sort of stuff, um, and that informs kind of like oh, this characters had kind of a wandering, tough sort of city to city life, um, for the last little while. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh I actually want to talk a little bit about the characters we get in the brief uh
2: like what do you call it? that that opening passage the ones who yeah. are observing the world yeah, I thought they were uh, striking, and I was kind of disappointed that I didn't see them again at the end of the chapter.
1: yes, and I wonder if these are characters that uh like this is actually the through line of Jim Bader creating fanfiction with different realities it, like it's Derek and uh, Serena know, what was the, the girl's name Serena Derek and Serena are like I it kind of like functioning like Marvel's the Watcher uh, like this is the character that
2: introduces each one of these new versions of reality but, and but at I gotta say points, they come back and comment on it I've gotta say having read some what ifs and read the Watcher Derek and Serena are better characters than the Watcher is in what if stories 100% agree <laughs> <laughs> that like I was like oh these these two have a dynamic and it seems like Derek is in the more authoritative position and Serena is questioning and advising to some degree and helping but like I couldn't quite nail down the dynamic in the little snippet that we got but I was intrigued by it enough to like I actually kind of want to see more of those two. It it was one of those um passages where you know the author
1: knows more about these characters and has lived with these characters and their dynamic more than what you get in this. We're like we're 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 seeing flashes of it, but you just know that the, the author really knows
2: these two characters well.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the dynamic and think, that exists between the two of them.
2: And I think even more than that, it seems like um Jim Bader selected a very small finite segment of their current experience and conversation to use for this introductory passage. And he knows exactly what was going on on either side of it for the next five minutes. Like he knows what was happening for five minutes before what we just read and for five minutes after what we just read, which is a really cool skill to put on display um, as a writer. Like it's not just that he knows what they do the day before and the day after he knows what they're doing right before and right after.
1: Yes. I, I like your description. Yeah. We get this lifted out snippet of conversation, but it feels like the conversation had been written, like all the lead into what we get had been written and where it was going. Like uh, Bader definitely knew it. Uh, even if he never actually wrote yeah. it out, he, he knew how these characters talked to each other. Uh, and, and it felt like there was just a, a comfortable lived in familiarity uh, and how these two characters spoke to each other, which um, dialogue can be a very hard thing for like a new writer to master. And particularly the dialogue mm-hmm. between them, it just had, you know, like, like I said, the, like there's a, a, a level of comfort that immediately as you're reading it, you're like, oh, this author knows these characters.
2: Yeah. And I thought he, he seemed pretty good at dialogue overall. Um, the dialogue mm-hmm. felt pretty smooth um, throughout this entire story.
1: Uh, yeah i agree and i actually like um comparing it a bit to marvel's the watcher like we said that's that's the easy hook so for any listeners who aren't aware marvel has had on and off again a series called what if where there's this uh um, godlike alien creature called the watcher who observes different planes of existence and there's one that's assigned to watch earth and they will also then go and watch earth as things play out differently. And so each issue of the what if would open with the watcher like offering this uh very heightened uh pseudo godlike commentary about like uh, you know the, the the mysteries of the cosmos and and you know what if this one singular event had had turned out differently what the butter effect butterfly effect would be.
2: Um I don't know what the butter effect is but yeah yeah that's a very. I, I want yeah. that as a time travel term. <laughs> yes. Well, this isn't the some, butterfly flap. Pl-
1: it's just the butter. In some planes of reality, that's what it's called Andrew, because the the the, the initial example was not a butterfly flapping its wings. it's butter melting. Uh, um, but there's an aloof distance for the version of the watcher where like he's just there to observe and there's very little characterization. There's always uh, a coldness to the writing of the watcher and it's for, and he's uh, always talking to the reader. Yes. Addressing the reader directly. Um, what we get here at this opening of this, and what I, again, what I would assume we're going to see in a lot of shadow mains, um, Ranma one half stuff. Uh, it, it's a much more, personal like uh, introduction and dipping your toe into these different worlds um and Mm -hmm. having the like i never was interested in the watcher's internal life (laughs) in reading any of marvel's what ifs like i was never (laughs) interested in what the watcher was doing on the weekend or uh you know what personality the watcher had because we were never given any personality in reading this little Snippet um, that that opens this this story like it's like I actually kind of want to see Derek and Serena some more like I, I want to see their character develop their relationship develop and if that becomes a through line like I think that's a really solid hook of through line for Jim Bader's fan fiction. Mm-hmm. I agree, and also not knowing the Rama one half that well, it feels and, and this is just supposition on me like Derek and Serena are completely original like this is his reason for telling this fan fiction around this. Uh, but that I'm guessing characters guess. that don't exist in, in Ranma one half. And so that's a really uh, novel and, and original, you know, element to
2: uh, engaging with fan fiction. Yeah. Um, okay. Should we get back to the Ranma characters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which other ones did you want to okay, so, uh, talk about? Um, so Ranma, I think, uh, assuming that he is carrying the same characteristics that are in the original story, um, it seems like Ron pretty well-defined with not a ton of like presence in the story. Like it, it is a fairly short chapter that we read mm-hmm. and there's a lot of characters that are getting some time in there. Um, but he's pretty quick to, you know, make it clear. It's like, okay, well you go first. What are some of the things that you pull out for Ranma? Uh
1: A little, uh, I I felt a little disengaged from his emotions. Like you feel like, he's being asked to rise emotionally to things and he is uh, avoiding doing that. And uh, I couldn't tell if this was just like a mellowness to him or like he really was a little too detached from his emotional center.
2: Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to pull out and I don't know. I don't want to call it chivalrous, but he's got like this attitude about not fighting girls. Mm hmm. And it, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's based in. Uh, but like, I don't know what it's based in, but he's got some attitude about it. Yes. But like, like right? um, like it, it, it's, it's a core like it, principle for him. Like this is one of my defining beliefs. Is- yeah. It's like, I'm not going to fight girls. I don't exactly know why, or if it's just like a rule that he has that he's going to stick to. He seems like he might just have some rules that, he grew up feeling like, yeah, this is how the rule should be, and I'm going to stick with it. And that's one of them. Yeah. And, um, um, and so when uh, uh, it's... Uh, uh, oh, how how did we decide?
1: Uh, Akane, uh, I think is how we decided <laughs> we were going to pronounce that name. Like, she really tries to push him into it. Uh, and he... Uh, just it says, uh, he moved to avoid her onslaught, skillfully avoiding each kick and punch from long practice. So it, it's not just like I don't hit girls, but like I am really well practiced in avoiding conflict with girls.
2: <laughs> is, is part of this. yeah? It's but like Akane, and I know that you're gonna push me on it, and I have learned to avoid you doing that. And, and Akane if we can, uh, you
1: know, address her character, she feels like uh, she's very engaged with her emotional core, unlike
2: <laughs> unlike Radma. <laughs> Right, yeah, she seems like an emotional person. Yeah, like that is she's uh, it, like has
1: intensity, I guess. Yes, mm-hmm. and her emotions are going to be um, the motivations for her actions, whereas for Ronma, it seems like his uh, principles are going to be the motivations for his actions.
2: Yeah, and he could still get bogged into some emotion with it. Like if he's starting to feel uncomfortable, he's going to lose like his his functionality right? He's going to be less effective at dodging blows if he's uncomfortable with the situation, but with right. Akane, he's, he's comfortable with it. He's like, yeah, this is how it always is. But then with Nibiki, he's less comfortable with it and he seems less confident in his ability to handle that situation. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, and also there's a point where, and this also goes into the kind of the, the chivalry or, or Bushido stuff that, um, happens with their martial arts. At one point they, they talk with Nibiki um, and I think it's he at the time, but she in general talks about um, having fought in like martial arts tournaments for money. And he seems really offended by that. <laughs> yeah. Cause he, he has his principal code again, like it, that's going to be defining
1: both his actions and his reactions uh, to, to the world yeah. around him, like what he chooses to do, but also how he's going to interpret others actions. Um, if, if they're violating his uh, personal set of principles. He he feels like this
2: is a violation of the way the world should function. Right? Yeah, and it's it's almost an attitude that I want to call naive, but it didn't come off as naive in the story.
1: Uh, no, it, it came off as like a uh, decisive. Like this is how he has decided to uh, to frame
2: the world around him. Right? Like yeah, it's not, and, and it seems like it's like uh, unaware okay, that is. It's like. Yeah, it's like the, this is a a reasonable attitude to have, even if not everyone's going to have it. But it's it's reasonable.
1: Yeah, I, well, and also I, th- I think I think again I, it didn't come off as naive, but he assumes that this is the way the world should be functioning, right? Like I I have mm-hmm. decided this is how I'm going to live my life because this is the best version, uh, or this is going to yield the best possible outcomes uh, in situations. Is if everyone has the same code of ethics. Uh, and the same, uh, like, uh, you know, um, sequence of decision-making, like, like my, this is my decision tree. (laughs) If everyone follows this, we're always going to have the best outcome. So anyone who's not following it, I don't get you. (laughs) And and it feels like you're violating what should be common sense Almost.
2: Yeah. Um, can we talk a little more about Akane? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. So so we talked about um the intense motivation or I- emotional motivations. And I think passion is another um word to go with it. She's very passionate about her perspective. Kind of in a in a similar way to um Ranma, but but still different. Yeah, whereas Rama there, there's there's
1: a, a little more cool logic uh to how it feels like Rama has has come to uh his worldview um with Akane, it's it's more like it just it, I, again, like this is a short story, so so we're just going with what we uh, we able to pull out of out of Vader's, uh, Bader, uh, you know, right here. It, it feels like she feels
2: this is the way the world should be. Therefore, it should be this way. <laughs> Does that yeah, make sense? Like, that, that is, yeah, I I think so. Um, she <laughs> is like so intense about Nabiki as as she says, like, well, you're a boy, you're not my sister. And that seems to be emotionally motivated. Like this is what I see. This must be reality, and I'm going to stick to it. And a, a a challenge against that is something I will react to emotionally. Yes. Yeah. No.
1: I think you're right, and
2: I think it says something about Bader's
1: um, skill in uh, in crafting the, this fan fiction that you and I, unaware of what these characterizations, characterizations were in the manga and acknowledging that that is really one of the core ways that you're supposed to approach fan fiction. We're still able to pull out this much depth of character in what was a short story.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's also probably a good sign for the Ronma series. Like there must be some level of consistency um, and detail on these characters to have solid characteristics, right? You, there are many stories out there where you're not going to be able to pull out Stable, consistent character beats like these very quickly, or at all, in some cases.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree with that. So, which um, I, I think that having those type of uh, extremely well-defined characters in the cortex is one reason that makes fans want to like tweak things and see these characters that they have come to know so well in different situations um so in this case mm-hmm. it seems like well let's have the inside inciting incidents but we're actually going to move the privacy of the story to some of the side characters from rama one half and have them you know engage with the inciting incident uh rather than rama uh you know falling into the spring in the original manga we're going to have uh nabiki uh, do that and and uh the fans are going to know Nabiki well enough that it's going to be kind of an interesting thought experiment to say well wh- where does that take us what what is different uh and how would Nabiki approach this curse situation differently than what we saw Rama
2: do in the original manga Mhm Yeah so um I, overall I think you know like that came out really strongly I th- I thought it was really well done and I think Jim Bader did an excellent job conveying that stuff. Like, I hope that this is in line with what the characters seem to have in the original story. And based on the quality of his writing overall, I I trust that it probably is.
1: Yeah. um, And like, there's just so much content that's out there in the world. I don't know that I'm going to have a whole lot of time to engage with fan fiction again, but it was really kind of interesting to, to just sample a, a small slice of it and see, um, like uh, like we said like there there's enough depth of quality of characterization in just this this one short story that these characters kind of resonate right they, and they they stand out and they feel individualized um even though we we're not seeing the art from the original manga and we don't have the almost decade of storytelling from the original manga to 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 stand as a foundation you can just take this little mm-hmm. slice of fan fiction and say that 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 was a successful short story, and it introduced this world and this premise and these characters, uh, in, in a way that um, that may made sense and uh, and made me feel like I, I've gotten to know uh enough that you know we can we can do this kind of analysis. Um, and when we were asked to do fan fiction of a text that we we were not familiar with the the original source material, I was like, are we going to be able to do all that? And it turns out, yeah. It, it, and i would guess there's some fan fiction that's been produced that no we wouldn't be able to
2: yeah i'm going to say that's not always the case
1: <laughs> yeah there's, there's a reason Jim Bader
2: had fans who want to preserve his work right mm-hmm. and and with the the detail that we get on you know consistent characterizations and things like that um we talked about early on it's hard to get a clear picture of these characters initially because it seems kind of light on their introductions But by the end of reading a little bit, you've had such a consistent character presentation that, like, I can distinctly think of, you know, the five characters that we've talked about and say, yeah, like, here's what I would expect out of these five characters. Um, Even though their initial introduction, I was like, I'm finding it kind of hard to follow who's who. Because I don't like. I wasn't totally clear on what their relationships were or mm-hmm. what they looked like and things like that. And so some of the classic things that we would think about as how to identify and remember characters, I didn't necessarily have. But yeah. by the end of it overall, I was like, okay, Nabiki is is the one with this attitude. Got it. And then when it's something else gets filled in, it's like, okay, she's the sister. Okay. Yes, you know I can fill yeah. it in and I can piece it together. It's just in a slightly different order than we usually, I think, are accustomed to.
1: Yeah, like the the family relationships, like who is whose child, who is engaged to whom, who is a sibling. Like those are the things that I think fans of the series are coming in as just like part of our our already known knowledge of the story world. Uh, and mm-hmm. as new new readers, that information came a little late in the game, and it was only actually sometimes done by inference, not even by, like, outright statement. Like, okay, I think this, but who the characters were as individuals and, like, what defined them, not not in terms of relationships to each other, but like, in terms of motivations and and, uh, you know, like, the, the things you would list as the characteristics, that that all came through really well. Andrew, any final thoughts on uh, Shadow Mane and Jim Bader and uh, a, a uh, Ranma
2: one-half fiction called A Very Scary Thought? I, you know, as I was reading it, I, I'm not sure that I'm ever, and, and even now, like, I'm not sure I'm going to seek it out again and, you know, dig deeper into the fan fiction well, but I'm not sorry that I read it. I'm not sorry that I, <laughs> I, I you know, connected with it. Like, it was good stuff. And, like, the characters were, were well done. It was decently written. You know, like, I don't really have any complaints. I just... And and it's kind of, I'm I'm like dealing with the fact it's like, I don't have any complaints, but I'm not probably going to dig into it again. Like really like it's, it's on the positive side of things. There's just a lot of other stuff that I've already locked into, but you know, well, yeah, there's, someday, there's too much out there. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, but I totally understand and, and can think of differently the people who are, connecting with the fan fiction. And I, I understand people wanting to preserve this stuff. Like, yeah, this is good stuff. It's worth preserving way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am in a similar place.
1: Like one thing I enjoy about this, uh, you know, doing the product of this podcast is that we get listener requests and patron requests of texts that we were never aware of and would not have engaged in, uh, if it weren't for those requests. And this definitely falls into that category. And I'm glad I've seen a little bit more of the world of fan fiction and actually read read a little bit to to get um a greater understanding for uh why this is something that resonates with so many people and like you like there's just so much out there i don't know that i'm gonna have a chance to return to this uh or that this is really a way that i'm going to explore my creative output but more power to those who do <laughs> you know, that that makes something uh inspired by uh some some other existing thing that they you know that, that has connected with them to such a degree that they want to to uh explore it in their own writing and, and share it with others and that there are fans that want to go and find that um, i'm glad that there's now like the the internet allows you know, that those kinds of connections to form uh, w- yeah. with, within these fandoms. And um, I and do I, have to say, I know there's kind of, oh, I was just gonna say, I know there's kind of a messy uh, connection between, uh, you know, you know, fan fiction and, and uh, copyrighted material and right holders and original authors and voices. Um, but as long as they're doing it in a way that they're not trying to earn profit off of it, I think this is a really valid form of creative expression to, to engage with. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and if I were to come across, um, something that that Jim Bader wrote, and it was you know on a topic or a series or or a work that I was interested in, I'd probably give that an extra look because it's like, oh well, Jim Bader wrote about it. Let me let me see what he said about you know Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or or superheroes or or whatever. Right? If he had something that was in line with stuff that I was more familiar with, I would probably you know, click on that link.
1: Yeah. And I, in talking about like the messiness of like copyright holders and all these other things, like I sometimes see people say like, well, if you are like a good enough writer that you write fan fiction, like, why don't you just write your own thing? Um, Well, one, like world building might not be a writer's strength. And so playing in an existing world, they might be able to tell stories that they feel more comfortable engaging with um, already having some of the world building done. But also number two, uh, there are so many gatekeepers between a creator writing a story and getting it in front of readers, be it through traditional media or even through online where they write it themselves. Like having the hook of known properties that someone is already a fan of is, is a way for a fan fiction writer to, to gain a wider audience. Whereas just writing your own short story and, you know, dropping it on your website and saying, Hey everyone, please come read this. uh, You know, very few may answer that and trying to get it published through traditional publishing, um, it, it, there's there's many 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 gatekeepers uh, between a, a creator and successfully reaching reaching that that um, goal. And so, if you want to create something that is going to be seen and read, uh, you know, I, I understand the appeal of fanfiction for that. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode, listeners. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to The Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 177. when We talked about the novel Fangirl. Or episode number 162. When we talked about fan fiction, uh, just had an open-ended discussion about the nature of fan fiction. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at Pod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at minute And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash podcast. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.
2: Sorry, my heater just kicked on. I need to shut that down for the recording time. Uh, a little so rumble in the background. Back in a second.
0: Okay.